series where we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And, and my, my argument to you is that, that God gives us these words uh, as a loving God who, who knows you. He created you. He knows your tendencies. He knows what you need in order to be able to live into the life that God wants you to live. And so we sometimes think of them as burdens, laws, things that restrict us. And I would encourage you to begin to think of them in ways that help us enhance and be able to live life to the full. So one of the things I'm hopeful that you're doing is that you're actually thinking about the commandments each week and remembering them. Uh, it's not a bad thing to memorize them uh, so that you can think about what the commandments are. And so I challenge you each and every week. Uh, I'm going to try to encourage somebody who hasn't been answering every week uh, to tell me what our commandment number one is. Without, Don't start looking them up on your phone. Uh, I saw somebody last week. I didn't call them out, but I saw somebody last week doing that. So this is a non-Google moment. Uh, tell me, uh, what's commandment number one? Okay. No other gods, and you even included the I am Yahweh. Excellent. So you get bonus points. All right. Uh, who would have commandment number two? Don't make idols for yourselves. That's right. Okay. Commandment number three? What was that? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. That's right. We looked at it as don't use the name of Yahweh in a way that's insignificant, but that's the kind of the common understanding of what we is. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. How about number four? Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. All right. Number five. What was that? No, you're close though. Hang on one second. What's the number five? Honor your father and mother. Okay. Now number six, Glenn. Don't kill. Okay. Number seven. Don't commit adultery. All right, number eight, don't steal. All right, so now we've got those eight. We're gonna, we'll ask them again next week. So y'all have a chance to stop and go, oh, okay, what? I need to remember one so I can shout it out. All right, we're gonna look at commandment number nine. If you've got your Bibles, let's first just look at the simple commandment that comes in Exodus chapter 20. Again, I say this, we've been saying it since the pandemic started. It's okay to bring your Bible, actually encourage that you bring your Bible uh, to church. And it's okay if your Bible is on your phone. Uh, if that's how you look and study the Bible, then use that as well uh, for an app there. But Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at verse 16. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, flip over to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 26. Got three verses I want us to look at. Matthew chapter 26, and I want us to look at verses 59 through 61. Matthew 26, verse 59. The chief priest and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. They didn't find anything they could use from the many false witnesses who were willing to come forward. But finally they found two who said, This man said, I can destroy God's temple and rebuild it in three days. And then staying in the New Testament, flip a little bit further and look at James chapter 1. It's towards the end of the New Testament, James chapter 1. Look at verse 26. If those who claim devotion to God don't control what they say, they mislead themselves. 
their devotion is worthless. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the context for this commandment is essentially in ancient Israel is the courts. Now we may not think about that, but it's the, it's the way that they decided to settle disputes. And so uh, when they were in slavery and, they, and then they were, they were led out of slavery by Moses, they went to Mount Sinai and they began to have to try to figure out how to live as people. And what they realized was that neighbor was not always gonna love neighbor. They realized that there were gonna be disputes. And so they had to create a system in order to be able to handle problems, to handle conflict. It's not a court system like we think of with a courtroom today, but essentially it was a judge that would make a determination trying to look at it from an unbiased perspective to be able to say, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing to do. Started out with Moses as the person who did this, but the problem became so great that they had to come up with another system. He had to appoint other people to be this judges. It's in that context that this commandment is given that says, do not falsely testify against your neighbor. In essence, don't say something is true if it isn't true. Don't say, don't support somebody who is saying something isn't true if you don't know it to be true, if you didn't see it happen. Don't falsely testify. And so I want us to think about this. I mean, every commandment has greater implications, and we've looked at those, and we'll look at those in a minute. But I want us to think a little bit about this context. How many of you have ever been falsely accused of something in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. So a few of us, quite many of us, have been falsely accused. So let's think about this. If you have a sibling... See, now we're nodding heads. You didn't raise your hand and now you're nodding your head. If you have a sibling, I can promise you at some point in time in your life, your sibling did something wrong and they said that you were the one who did it, right? I mean, I had a brother and sister and I could tell you many times where I didn't do it. They did, yes, exactly. Uh, and so now I've lied. Um, and so, no, I, 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 there were times where if I were, I would blame it on them and they would blame it on me. You go to school and somebody gets in trouble and they begin to say that, well, I didn't cheat, they did. Or I didn't do this, they did it. You go to the workplace, you have a deadline and you didn't make your deadline and so you say, well, that's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. How many of us, now we think about it, have been falsely accused of something in our life. How many of you now would raise your hand? A few more that when you think about this emotion. And here's the reality is, there can be serious consequences for that. If you are in your family situation, as a little kid, you might get in timeout. Well, that may not sound like a big deal, but when you're seven, eight years old, timeout is not fun, right? It's a serious consequence. It can be more consequential as you get older. You go to school and you say the, somebody did something and somebody says that about you, it can lead you to get a zero on a test score. It can lead you to get suspended from school. It can lead you to get expelled, expelled from school. Go to the workforce, you can literally lose your job, which then allows you to not be able to pay your mortgage. And now you're not able to feed your family. And we can ultimately get to a place where it can lead you to jail. 
Claire and I recently, we watched uh, the docu-series, I think that's what it's called, a docu-series on Netflix about a man who uh, was um, arrested and charged with the murder of his wife because they found her at the bottom of a staircase. Now, y'all may have seen this. It's, it's, I think it's called The Staircase or maybe just Staircase. But it follows this, um, all of the legal proceedings against this gentleman and he is, he is found to be guilty of this. And so as the court unfolds over years and years, they follow his story. Uh, eventually it comes out that the expert people who testified in his court trial, while they swore to tell the truth, they lied. And so at the end, after years and years of court battles, he is eventually found not guilty. Now, I have no way to tell you whether he is guilty or not guilty. I'm simply saying to you, I want you to realize the power of somebody who falsely testified and the power of somebody who eventually told the truth. We hear stories like that all the time. We just never think that they can happen to us. They tell us that as many as 4% of our prison population are in jail today because somebody falsely testified against them. Again, statistics. A little over 2.3 million people in prison. That means over 100,000 people could potentially be in prison because somebody falsely testified against them. Again, not an indictment on the prison system. It's just simply to get us to realize the power of false testimony. We, all of us, if we sit here today and are followers of Jesus Christ, I want you to be reminded of something. That at the center of our faith is Jesus Christ who was arrested, convicted of a sentence that he did not commit. Why? Because of false testimony. If you've got your Bibles, look back at Matthew. Look at what we said in Matthew chapter 20, 26. Let's look at this gospel again. Matthew 26, look at what it says in verse 59. The chief priest and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. They were jealous of Jesus and they were angry with Jesus. And then look what it says in verse 60. They didn't find anything they could use from the many false witnesses who were willing to come forward. So if we just stop there and realize there were a lot of people who were willing to come forward and lie about what Jesus did. There were so many people that were willing to come forward and do this. But in the Torah, you have to find two people who are in agreement with what the person did. So while there were a bunch of people saying, I'm willing to come forward and tell a, a lie about Jesus, they couldn't find two who were telling the same lie. Until, look at how the scripture says, but finally they found two who said, this man said, I can destroy God's temple and rebuild it in three days. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about the physical temple. We know that now as hindsight, he was talking about his body. But they took what he said out of context. They twisted it to the very worst possible interpretation. And then they used that against him to have him arrested, convicted, and ultimately killed. Deuteronomy 19 says this in verses 18 through 19. If it turns out that the witness is a liar, that the witness has given false testimony against his fellow Israelite, 
then you must do to him what he had planned to do to his fellow Israelite. Remove such evil from your community. So if they were falsely testifying in a trial that would ultimately land them to have their hand cut off, then you should cut their hand off. If they were falsely testifying in a trial where the person would eventually be killed because it was a death sentence, then you should kill them. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, Al brought up a passage where it talked about poking your eye out or cutting your hand off. And he said he didn't really think that they wanted you to cut your hand off. And I would agree with that. It was hyperbole. I'm not so sure in this. I think this is trying to say to us that we need to see the biblical account says, folks, church, listen, this is a serious, serious, serious offense that we need to take serious. And so this commandment is much deeper than just simply what you do in a court system. It's how you speak about your neighbor. Do you falsely testify against them? And I want us to think a little bit about what that may look like. So politics. We don't talk about politics very much, but let's set aside for just a minute Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, whatever political party you want to aspire to. Here's what I know. In 2022, we're going to have another election. Sorry to tell you that. Uh, In 2022, we're going to have another election. And here's what's going to happen. And this is just my perspective is at the end of the day, we're going to see commercial after commercial after commercial for 30-second sound bites where one politician talks disparagingly about another depending on which party they're aligned with. I wish that we could say that we could see a place where everybody speaks positively about themselves, but we just don't see that. What they do instead is they spend 30 seconds trying to put a seed of doubt in your mind about the other person. A little seed of doubt. Why? Why do they do that? Because we listen to the seeds of doubt. It's effective. And here's the thing, we pass it on. We hear a seed of doubt and we forward it to someone else. We include a link in an email to our Sunday school class. We share it on Facebook or Instagram. We like it. We read the article. We don't know anything about whether it's truth or not, but we pass it on. Research says that we have within us, and we may not like to think about this, but we have within us something called confirmation bias. And what confirmation bias is, is that if I have a particular perspective, and I see an article that agrees with that particular perspective, that I am much more likely to open it up and read it. And I'm much more likely to send it to you. I'm much more likely to share it along social media or whatever it may be, because it agrees with the position that I like. And if I like it and I share it and I forward it, what am I doing? I would argue to you that I am testifying. So is it false or is it truth? If we don't check it out, if we don't research it, if we don't come to know that it's true and we just forward it, I would say to you that we are falsely testifying against our neighbor. Because here is what I do know is truth. And if you want to check this out, please do. And you come back and show me that this is not true if I'm, if I'm inaccurate. Everything you read on the internet is not true. Right? I mean, y'all do know that, right? Everything that you read on the internet is not true. So if you're a Republican, I'm sorry to tell you this. Everything that you read from the Republican perspective is not necessarily true. If you're a Democrat, everything that you read from the Democratic perspective is not necessarily true. 
We sit in the church today, if you are conservative theologically, everything that you read from the conservative slant in the theological discussion is not necessarily true. Everything that you read from the progressive slant is not necessarily true. But yet we, pull, we forward it, we send it as though it is truth. Suddenly this scripture seen in a new light is pretty important today. What do we think about? What do we speak about when we gather around the water cooler at work? And if you're retired, you go, good, I'm not, I'm not at the water cooler anymore. What about when you're in the church parking lot? What about when you go, on the, one of the groups went on a trip to this, this past week. Uh, what about when you go on the, the church bus and you're riding on a trip? What do you talk about? See, we can talk positively, but as soon as we move into, well, did you know? I heard... I don't know if it's true, but this is what I, somebody told me. Are we falsely testifying against our neighbor? Some of the chit-chat's neutral and there's nothing wrong with it. But we have to acknowledge it, what it is. It is part of the human condition. And listen to me, church. It is part of the human condition called sin. We don't like that. But it is part of the human condition called sin. Scripture says that we are to use our words to build each other up. We are to use our words to encourage each other. We are to use our words in order for people to be able to hear grace, not to tear anybody down. How many of you ever played a game when you were little that you sat in a circle and somebody whispered a phrase to you in your ear and you told your neighbor, whispered it to your neighbor and then your, you, your neighbor whispered it to their neighbor and their neighbor whispered it to their neighbor and eventually got back around to the person that would sit beside you and then they would tell you what they heard. Anybody ever play that game? All right. How many of you ever got to the end where it was the same? Never. Always different perspectives. But we operate as though it is half truth. I mean, we operate as though it is truth. We're falsely testifying against our neighbor. When somebody tells you something that's in confidence, when somebody says, now listen, don't tell anybody. And then you go to someone else and say, now listen, don't tell anybody because they told me not to. And you know what they're going to do. They're going to leave and go somebody else and go, now listen, don't tell anybody because I'm not supposed to say this. We're falsely testifying against our neighbor. And it's, it's difficult for us. Do y'all realize... Statistics, again, say that one out of every four high school boys have had a half-truth or a rumor posted to them, posted about them on social media. One out of four. Two out of every five high school girls. That somebody has posted something on social media that is a rumor or half-truth or just a bald-faced lie. And we as adults, we know how hard it is when somebody says something against. Imagine trying to deal with that when you're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And as I thought about that statistic, I thought, where did they learn that from? And I would make the argument that they learn it from us. They learn it from the way that we talk about politics. They learn it from the way that we talk about each other on social media. They learn about the way that they hear us when we're walking around the church talking about each other. I 
The New Testament church struggled with this. And how do we know that? Because Paul, in three of his epistles, talks to the church and says to the church, listen, do not gossip. Do not backbite with each other. James says it this way. It's the passage that we looked at in James 1. If those who claim devotion to God don't control what they say, they mislead themselves. Their devotion is worthless. Look at it, what it says in the NRSV, because I think this really hits home. If any think they are religious, I would be willing to argue that most all of us would sit here today and say that we think of ourselves as religious. Now, some are going to want to nitpick what the word religious means, but we, 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 we all understand kind of the concept. If they think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. And that doesn't make a difference if I'm a pastor, if you're a worship leader, if you're somebody who's taught Sunday school for 50 years. Doesn't make a difference if you're a young teenager or an older seasoned adult. Doesn't make a difference if you've been in church your whole entire life and you tithe way before 10%. Their religion is worthless. I don't care if you know every Bible verse by chapter and verse and you can recite every story listen if we are not guarding our tongue if we are not being aware of what we say the gospel of jesus christ has not fully infiltrated our heart it is sinful scripture is clear james goes on to say this in james 3 no one can tame the tongue though it's a restless evil full of deadly poison with it, we both bless the Lord and Father and curse human beings made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, listen to this. My brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. You've heard me and Al, as we've gone through this series, you've heard us talk about them, different ones, some of the ones we struggle and, and I really didn't think that I struggled with this commandment until I was writing the sermon. And then I think about the times that I fail. We just got back from annual conference. Claire and I were able to go up and be able to be there for the commissioning service. An annual conference in the United Methodist Church is a bunch of clergy coming together. And you know what we do when a whole bunch of clergy come together? We gossip about other clergy. <laughs> just telling you the truth. And I was cognizant of that this week as we were there fortunately there wasn't very many people there so i did a little bit better than i probably would do in a normal year but there's times where i get frustrated with someone and i say something that i shouldn't say there's times where somebody calls me and says hey i'm in the hospital and i tell somebody that there is that somebody's in the hospital they didn't give me permission to share that but i just take it upon myself to say that it's okay to tell someone i'm a pretty confidential person I don't tell many people many people's business, but there are times where I don't do that as well as I should. All of those are ways of falsely testifying against my neighbor. It shouldn't be this way, James says. Brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't use our words to be able to praise God in one moment and to be able to curse God's creation in the next. I don't think I'm probably the only person in this room that struggles with this commandment. The commandments, when you really think about it, it, commandment three where it talks about not saying the Lord's name in vain, 
It's about not defaming God. It's about loving God with all a part of you. Now we come to the ninth commandment and it says to not bear false witness. It's about loving your neighbor. See, when we look at what Jesus teaches, Jesus teaches these commandments in so many different ways. He says, and we talked about it last week, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The way that the Jewish rabbis taught it in the first century was don't do what you don't want someone to do. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, don't judge other people so that you won't be judged. Jesus says, look around the room. Why are you worried about the splinter that's in your neighbor's eye when you've got a big old log in your own? So Jesus teaches this concept of honesty and integrity in so many different ways. I invite you today to be a people, to be a church. It says we're going to use our words so that they build each other up and that they're grace when people hear them. There's a great story that preachers use. I'm sure you've heard it before. Where a priest is in confession with a woman from his church who is the town gossip. And the priest says to her, what have you done? And she begins to lay out the gossip that she shared. And he gets a sense that she hasn't really fully understand the damage that she's caused. And so he asked her, do you have a feathered pillow? She said, yes. He says, go get the feathered pillow, bring it back. And she thinks it's a strange request, but she goes. And then he says, when she comes back, he says, I want you to go into the top of the bell tower and I want you to rip open your pillow and I want you to release all of the feathers. So she does. She goes to the top, she releases the feathers and they fly all different directions all over the place. And I thought about it this week when I read that story, I'm like, okay, I can picture this because I can get to the top of the bell tower and I could break open this pillow and you can imagine where it would go all over the parking lot. She comes back down and she says, am I forgiven? And he said, well, one more thing. I want you to take your pillowcase and I want you to go get all the feathers. I want you to stuff it back together. And in that moment, she realized it was impossible to do the damage that she had caused. And then she was truly repentant. Because just acknowledging it but not changing, is that really repentance? Repentance is you actually change and go in a different direction. So I invite you to think about the damage when we gossip. I mean, think about the damage that we cause in our church and in our community when we talk half-truths and rumors. May we be a people who use our words in order to provide grace to those who hear. Amen?